As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This daily from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. with delicious mouth-watering breakfast, lunches, and dinners. Treat yourself to... KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. Special report, coronavirus update. The European travel ban that went into effect at midnight will be extended next week to the UK and Ireland. Vice President Mike Pence says efforts to ramp up testing in the U.S. continue. The president declared a national emergency yesterday, freeing up uh, significant federal resources um, for state and local authorities, as well as our national response. The president announced that unprecedented public and private partnership on testing. And let me say that uh, at five o'clock tomorrow, uh, we will be detailing the progress that our team is making. President Trump told reporters at a White House briefing that he has been tested for the coronavirus. Dr. Anthony Fauci of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases says the pandemic is far from over. We have not reached our peak. Now, we will see more cases and we will see more suffering and death predominantly, as the vice president said, among the vulnerables in our society. I'm Ann Cates. The House has passed a bipartisan bill to deal with the coronavirus outbreak. It's called the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, and it provides direct help to Americans affected by the virus. First and foremost, says Texas Republican Kay Granger, it makes testing for the coronavirus free. This is the only way we can stop the spread of this virus. Massachusetts Democrat Richard Neal says free testing is just one part of the bill. We are making a historic emergency commitment to paid leave for the American family members affected by coronavirus. The bill now goes to the Senate. Linda Kenyon, Washington. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer on what should happen. I would say to Leader McConnell, pass the bill as is. If people have ideas of, to do other things and other amendments, we're going to have new legislation down the road. But pass this now. Make up for the fact that you skipped town Friday night. I'm Ann Cates. Stardate, March 1st. 
Beauty doesn't always last. Consider the rings of Saturn. These bands of ice and dust are among the most beautiful features in the solar system. Yet they may be doomed. They could disappear in a few hundred million years. The rings are constantly changing. Collisions pulverize larger chunks of material, while smaller bits can stick together to form bigger ones, all the way up to the size of small moons. And ring particles rain onto Saturn, adding water to the planet's atmosphere, which is why the rings may disappear. Researchers recently took a new look at some old observations of Saturn. They found changes in the planet's ionosphere, a layer of the atmosphere that contains particles with an electric charge. The changes correspond to dark bands in Saturn's atmosphere, seen in other observations. The changes may be caused by bits of ice in the rings falling toward Saturn. The particles have their own electric charge, so they're guided by Saturn's magnetic field. As they hit the atmosphere, they wash away particles of haze, leaving dark bands. The researchers calculated that this icy rain could make the rings vanish in about 300 million years, only a few percent of the age of Saturn itself. Saturn just peeks into view at dawn right now. Tomorrow, it'll stand to the upper right of the moon, with brilliant Venus close to the left of the moon. They'll be in view by about an hour before sunrise, low in the southeast. You can follow Stardate on Facebook, Twitter, and on our website, stardate.org. For the McDonald Observatory, I'm Sandy Wood. Do you have a debt problem? Are you being sued for an unpaid debt? Is your paycheck being garnished or your bank account emptied out? Do you feel like you're running out of options? The Fullman Firm is your friendly local law firm next door and has helped thousands of people just like you. Give us a call at 833-FULLMAN and see if we can help you too. It's a free confidential consultation. You have nothing to lose. For debts above $7,000, give us a call at 833-FULLMAN or check out FullmanFirm.com. That's 833-F-U-L-L-M-A-N. The Fullman Firm. Let our lawyers get you on the path to financial freedom. The proceeding is not intended as a guarantee or estimate of the outcome of your case. Every case is unique and past results are not indicators of the success of your case. Take control of your financial future and call 833-FULMAN or visit FULMANFIRM.COM now. Here's a great place for something special. It's Porter's Prime Steakhouse in Ontario's Doubletree Hotel. The perfect place for dinner with friends or business clients. Enjoy their delicious U.S. prime beef or their wonderful seafood. You'll be happy with the different choices of tasty treats. Call 909-418-4808. Porter's Prime Steakhouse in the Doubletree Hotel at 222 North Vineyard in Ontario. That number again is 909-418-4808. Get ready for a brand new show on KCAA Zero Point Health with Taylor Fakus and the incredible ZPA crew. They're fit, strong, experienced, passionate, and the team is ready to help you achieve greater fitness in mind, body, and spirit. Taylor and the ZPA crew operate Zero Point Athletics Holistic Center in Calamasa every day, where you'll find them on Instagram at Zero Point Athletics. And you can catch them right here on Thursdays at 3 p.m. 
on KCAA 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and Talk 102.3 FM. Peace be unto you, and you are listening to the Voice of Islam radio show. My name is Osama Safi, and I'm joined with my co-host, Hada Samad. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. The Voice of Islam radio show is brought to you by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. We are the or- oldest organized Muslim community in the United States. The Ahmadiyya Muslim community has been teaching the true teachings of Islam, love for all, hatred for none, for a hundred years here in the United States. Please join in in our conversation here in the studio by dialing in at 1-888-909-1050. That's 1-888-909-1050. You can call us anytime during the show. And if you don't want to talk to us, you can send us an email at voiceofislamradioshow at gmail.com. So, folks, we are living in precarious times. And I'm sure the first thing on your mind is... What's going to happen in the next NHL Kings game? But uh, you, you can't think that because of the coronavirus that is going on, COVID-19. And we are going to have a discussion on that today. But slight disclaimer, this is a Muslim talk show. This isn't a talk show with scientists, even though we will or we do have two medical professionals on this show. Uh, we're going to have an interesting discussion on the Islamic perspective of the coronavirus and just a general discussion on the coronavirus. We're going to start our discussion first with Dr. Bilal Rana, who will join us, and then later with um, uh, missionary Rizwan Khan. But how, does, how, how have you been dealing with this? You know, how is you and your family, are you guys going to Costco waiting in line? Because I went to Costco a week ago and I just got some ice cream and now I'm regretting it. I should have got a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, you know, it's, it's fascinating to see what's going on. It's uh, people may be wondering, you know, why are we shutting down yeah. you know, sports arenas? Why can't we watch our beautiful Lakers right. win their 17 title right now? I know. Why can't we? Come on, why, folks. why are we closing stores? <laughs> and there's a reason for it. And you may have been seeing a graph circulating around social media. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about flattening the curve. Mm-hmm. And what that means is, yes, coronavirus is probably going to affect, you know, maybe 40 to 70 percent of people eventually. But and it may not kill everyone. Right. Because the mortality rate is 2 percent. Mm-hmm. So most mm-hmm. people are going to be fine. But we want to flatten the curve. And what that means is we don't want all of those cases to happen at one time. Right. We want those cases to be spread out over a longer period of time. Because right. what happens is, is if you have a bunch of people sick all at once, hospital resources are overwhelmed, right? We, can only, we only have so many beds at hospitals, and mm-hmm. we don't want that to happen. So we want to spread these cases out. That's why we're all making it our responsibility to kind of stay at home, you know, distance yourself as much as possible from others and avoid, unfortunately, Laker games. Yeah, that's the unfortunate part. And folks, if you are listening in and thinking, wow, Hottest sounds really smart and he knows what he's talking about, that's because he does. He has a master's in public health from USC and studied epidemiology there. I think I pronounced that right. Yes, you and did. And is becoming a doctor. So um, like we said, this isn't a scientific show. If you want to go learn the latest, go to cdc.gov. But we do have a doctor and another doctor joining us. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. I'm glad you said that because the main, the emphasis that I would have for people is use, look at the CDC, Mm -hmm. World Health Organization, and the Surgeon General, 
And then you can look at LA County Department of Public Health. But the point being is use official health experts to right. get your information. You can use their websites, their social media accounts. And, you know, I would not look too much to like influencers or people who right. are articles, things like that, because they may, you know, scare you or confuse you. Right, right. And right. so there's a lot of, you know, information out there from the experts. Definitely stick to that. And that's what we really see. I mean, we see a lot of panic right now. Folks are going out and buying toilet paper like they're running out of toilet paper. And I don't understand how toilet paper exactly is a necessity in a situation like this. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of showing that folks sometimes in a mob mentality, when they think of a panic, when they hear about, an, uh, you know, President Trump's announcement yesterday, they overreact a little bit in a certain sense. Would you agree? Or do you yeah. think people are reacting proportionally? I, I understand why some people are scared and they, sh you know, and, and we should be in a, in a middle place. In Islam, mm -hmm. we actually emphasize, you know, taking the middle path on things, meaning that our approach to everything is always one of moderation. Yeah. So in this scenario, on one extreme, you may have a panic response and the other, and you may see a response of denial. Like this is not a big deal. Mm -hmm. right or this is the end of the world so taking an islamic approach in this scenario is actually really good and that would be have a moderate approach right we're not going to deny that this is happening we're not going right. to act like nothing's happening we're also not going to you know freak out and and go crazy so right you know for me it, my faith is having a really good impact in terms of how i'm approaching this pandemic and and that's what how everyone should do it as well i think right and to learn more about our response we're going to bring in dr Bilal rana who is the National Secretary of General Affairs for the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community here in the United States. Uh, Dr. Rana, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Greetings to everybody. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for coming here. So what are some of your responsibilities as the General Affairs Secretary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community in terms of COVID-19 and your recommendation and response for uh, the members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community? So it's a disaster preparedness and also healthcare safety guidelines for our community. We're an Islamic community. We have almost 70 chapters, mosques in almost every chapter, and uh, of course a wide demographic. We have immigrants, refugees, um, we have indigent, those with access to healthcare, some with less access, some with more. So um, given all this and also the fact that this type of, we've seen disasters before as a community and we've responded. But this is a bit different. We've never quite had something like this before. Uh, we've had, you know, plenty of hurricanes. We've mm -hmm. had um, wildfires. Um, and we've prepared and stocked up to our, you know, to an extent our mosques with some basic food staples. And um, our Khalifa, the head of our religious community, has always advised us for over the last decade numerous times that we should keep a three to six month supply of food, water, and basic necessities. And so while the world, as you were describing, is um, in panic and uh, frantically, you know, reaching for toilet paper and Purell, um, we are a bit more calm, uh, reassured, and yes, we are continuing our preparation and assessing those families. Some families don't have the resources, they don't have the space, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, they don't have access to the mosque. Right. So we're just trying to stay in tune with everybody. Right. Now, in terms of um, as an anesthesiologist and also having studied at Johns Hopkins, um, what is your kind of medical perspective with you and Harris? You know, let's have a little back and forth. What's, what's going on here? I mean, why is this so contagious? Why is it that, like, is the world just so much more modern in the sense that we're so much more globalized? That, you know, if a virus happens in one end of the world, it's so easy for it to transfer somewhere else. 
it really is. Um, you know, viruses live on um, like non-biological surfaces for up to 72 hours. And I think that's a concept. And we know we're exposed to viruses all the time. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Bacteria all the time. Uh, but the thing is that <clears throat> our body's immune response system is usually very effective. Mm-hmm. And we're familiar with what we're exposed to. And in the hospital, we're often exposed to some very serious microbes. Uh, but guess what? Our body fights that. We're not immunocompromised. And um, we move on. But with coronavirus, in this particular uh, strain of COVID-19, um, it's unusual. And it was unusual with SARS, and it was unusual with the uh, Middle Eastern response, uh, respiratory syndrome we saw about a decade ago as well. Um, so when these things happen, it really challenges doctors because we don't really know what to do. And I'm just going to be very honest. And mm-hmm. I think that's pretty apparent, not just um, um, uh, health agencies and government, but right. uh, doctors and infectious disease physicians ourselves. We, we we don't have a vaccine that we're prepared with. Um but we do know quite a bit, and right. education is the real uh, battle that we're fighting. Um, right. People don't believe because we haven't seen it in this generation, anyway. So uh, at least in America, uh, Doctor Rana, you know, you, you, I'm sure you know you did. You took some approaches in terms of advising members to limit, you know, large gatherings to cancel some of the larger events we're holding. And there, there's that aspect of it, the public health aspect. What about this kind of the spiritual aspect to this, if any? You know, is there a spiritual message that you are disseminating amongst your membership and that you think perhaps everyone could benefit from as well? Besides yeah, the hand washing really, and things like that. For sure. Um, you know, Harvey, Hurricane Harvey came through our reside in Houston, Texas. And it came through here um, about two years ago and. Uh, I was at home for about six days. I couldn't leave the house. All the roads were flooded. <clears throat> uh, water didn't get into our home. But um, ever since then, and that was a moment that was very reminiscent of now, but this is like of a world scale, and it really feels divine. Um, we're questioning everything. You know, uh, now I'm looking at my bank statement and wondering, hey, <laughs> you know, what's going to happen to my job? Um, the Surgeon General right. said, hey, listen, no more elective cases now. You know, so, um, and I'm not the only one. I mean, there's plenty of people who are really uncertain, and uh, we just have to, in this moment, turn to God. And I think it's a very natural uh, reaction for most of us. Right. And right. Uh, that's the silver lining in this, actually, is that we now have, we think about what we have, and we're grateful for everything that God has given us. Mm-hmm. And um, these ideas come into our mind that we're all God's children. You know, um, when Harvey struck, um, my neighbors ran out of food, mm-hmm. and they came to us, and they used some of our food. We had some eggs, and we shared it with them. And um, finally, whenever the uh, waters receded a little bit, and I was able to walk to um, uh, the grocery store, 
uh, we needed milk, and I had to get through about waist-deep water to get there. Wow. Uh, but there were people there, long lines, and everyone was waving at each other, saying, hey, how are you doing? You guys okay? Mm-hmm. You know, how are y'all? You know, and it was really mm-hmm. nice. And normally nobody talks. Well, that's just a Texas thing, let's be honest. You know, Southern hospitality. <laughs> that's a Southern hospitality. <laughs> California, New York, I mean, especially New York, they probably would take the eggs from you. So, uh, you know, <laughs> there's plenty of that happening too. Yeah. But I tell you, this really yeah. opens our heart. Yeah, you're right. Uh, right. And if you want to have a response with us, remember, call in 888 909 1050, 888 909-1050. You're listening to the Voice of Islam radio show with Dr. Bilal Rana as, a, as guest. One of the interesting things about Islam, and really emphasized by His Holiness um, Mirza Masrud Ahmed, the worldwide head of the MDM Muslim community, is that hygiene is really important in combating the coronavirus. We're always talking about, you know, wash your hands with warm water and soap for 20 seconds. Don't touch your face. Don't do that. And in Islam, five times a day, we are washing our face and going through a very elaborate method of cleaning. And um, there's very it's a, there's a spiritual and also a physical aspect to that, right? I mean, we know Prophet Muhammad, peace Absolutely. be upon him, said that if a person was to have a river outside of his house and he washed it five times a day, would he have any sins on him? So I, I think that's something that, you know, for Muslims is inherent to their fate to hopefully protect them from something like this. There's a lot to this, Osama. Um, <clears throat> the Holy Prophet, as you've mentioned, Hazur, our spiritual uh, leader, um, he draws all from the examples and the sayings of the Holy Prophet of Islam. And the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, taught that before you uh, present yourself before God, you should purify yourself spiritually as well as physically. And the physical purification is a reminder to purify purify our heart. And if you look at the manner and method of physical purification, I think it the 2020 CDC would be fascinated mm-hmm. by the way the prophet taught. He said, you know, wash your right hand and then wash mm-hmm. your left hand. And you use your right hand to wash your left hand, you use your left hand to wash your right hand. By the time you're done washing your hands and your arms, it's been at least 20 seconds. It's, the guidelines um, today say to do that. And when you wash your arms, you cup your hand and let the water drain down away from where you've already washed. Mm-hmm. And then you, the way, the manner, it's really worth Googling, um, watching the video, how Muslims wash themselves five times a day, every day, man, woman, and child. It's a decontamination. Right. And not only that, but the Prophet taught that you should clip your nails right. for cleanliness purposes. He taught that you should clip your armpit hair and other bodily hairs that are in areas that sweat, because as we know now, although we didn't at that time, but these things hoard bacteria. Mm-hmm. So it's important to get rid of them. And then the Prophet was very, almost compulsively, he, would, he really liked uh, <laughs> to brush his teeth. Right. Before prayer, he would brush his teeth, and people thought it would be made obligatory uh, on them. He did it so much. And then he taught that you should cover plates and utensils, and if a plate has a crack in it, you mm-hmm. should get rid of it. And there are other concepts, too. This is way before after he said, this is a desert people. How did right. he know that? Right, right. You know, mm-hmm. he said that for cleaning yourself, don't use bones and things. That, and these are very rudimentary people. The right. Prophet said that the bones have the best word at that time to describe bacteria and microscopic life was gin. 
which is a word which means something that is hidden. You can't perceive it, but it's there. So this is the beauty of our faith. And Mm -hmm. for anyone listening, I I would, you know, challenge you to find a faith that that is, um, you know, as rational and um, as current (laughs) as Islam. And really, it's not a, it's, it's not a challenge in the sense that there's any competition between any. We believe all religions mm-hmm. came from the same source, from the same God, but that man interpolates the religion, confuses the religion, the people right. hijack the faith and take it away, and then God then raises people to um, to bring the faith back, and that's what we believe has happened in our age through the promised Messiah, Islam, who is a Noah of our age. In fact, and uh, his name is Mirza Ghulam Ahmed. Um, and in this age, as the Bible has also predicted, and the Quran has also forewarned, that there will be pestilence, there will be wars, there will be famine, and complete and utter confusion, because man will be flooded in materialism and worldliness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think and I think that's that time, a... and Noah will raise his voice. I think that's a really important point is from my study of religion, it seems like in every major religion, there's this concept of the latter days. It's something that's not unique to just Islam. Every religion mentions that there's going to be a time which is designated as the latter days. And that in these latter days, there's going to be certain things you'll see. You'll see strife in terms of economic strife and, and societal strife and strife of health. And when this time comes, a messianic figure will arise and a kind of a, you could say, a satanic figure will arise. And these two entities will kind of duke it out, you know, to, for lack of a better yeah. word. And it's, it, it's interesting to see that all of these different religions, despite originating in different centuries at different times, in different places, have these similar concepts. And it goes back to Dr. Rana's point that as Muslims, we believe in the divine origin of all religions, not just ours. We mm-hmm. don't have a monopoly on truth. And I think that's important. You know, another thing you mentioned earlier was about, you know, reflecting and, and, mm-hmm. and taking time to reflect. And now that we're not, some, a lot of us aren't working now and right. working now's from the time home, right? What a great time to reflect and think about what is the purpose of my life? Mm-hmm. Like, is my life, you know, speaking for myself, is it just to become, you know, go to residency and then have a, get a fellowship and then get a job and then mm-hmm. work here and then accumulate, you know, this much wealth and have right. this many kids? And, you know, what's really the point here? Is this all just, you know, just hitting milestones and then looking up to the next one? I think... A time like this, if anything, is a time to reflect and see, you know, what is the purpose of our life? What are we doing here? And, you know, what are all these things that are happening? Is this, is this a trend? Does this mean anything? Are all those religions right? Is perhaps this that time or this that century of those latter days that's been predicted by all religions? Right. Right. And I mean, that's what we, what we believe really from the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is that the founder of our community... Um, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed is that promised Messiah that has come to unite all faiths and come to really provide that uh, renaissance in Islam. And we see that through kind of the climate they're in right now. And the question always is, is when are the latter days going to come? If these aren't the latter days, I don't know how how much more longer you're expecting to wait. Yeah, you know, you have a global village now. We have mass transportation. We have mass communication where I can communicate with someone across the world in a matter of seconds. 
it really seems like these are this is the context these are the circumstances with mass transportation right. globalization uh, that you would have the this seems like the setting and context in which that right. reformer would come and you know in the quran it says you know call people to god it doesn't mm -hmm. say necessarily call people to islam right right so i think you know for us it's just you know everyone just look to God, you know, right. reflect if, is there a God? And if there's a God, where is he? And if he exists, what is the best way to develop a relationship with him? Right, right. And I think that type of honest reflection is, is really important for everyone. Right. And maybe this is that time to do that. And, and look, yeah. And look know. to religions for their pearls of truth. I mean, when the black plague happened, the bubonic plague, um, a lot of people, uh, stigmatized Jewish people because they often, were saved from it. And that was because, you know, as you know, back then, a lot of the Black Plague was caused because of the unsanitary conditions that the medieval times were in. And um, per the Judaic teachings, you know, you're supposed to wash yourself, you're supposed to follow a certain procedure, and that helped save them. So in a certain sense, a religion is really a guide of life to protect oneself, and Islam is like that ultimate guide to help an individual become a better version of themselves as you sit here and reflect and you wonder what's the purpose of my life well from a muslim's perspective the purpose of your life is to worship god but as we discussed in our last episode on this what does that mean to worship god it means to really become an embodiment of god in terms of his qualities in terms of um, being a godly person and raising above in rank it's your, your life isn't about just surviving and hitting the next milestone it's about reaching an extra level, reaching a spiritual ascension that you can achieve in this life and then also in the next life as uh, Islam teaches. Yeah, you know, for, for me, it, it was definitely, you know, this religion played a mm -hmm. huge role in me choosing to go into medicine and go into public health because I saw it as an opportunity to serve others and provide relief and comfort to others. And, I, and, and it went back to the purpose of life according mm -hmm. to our religion is, you know, you worship God and you, the way you worship God is you pr try to perfect your attributes, so you become more godly in that sense, mm -hmm. and and I thought that this was a great field uh, to do that. And you know, an, yeah. an example I like to use about attributes is you know mercy and justice in in the, in the context of criminal justice, mm -hmm. which is your field. You know, in is you know, for example, in Islam, we don't say that you should always forgive, and we don't say you should always punish. Mm -hmm. It kind of depends on the situation from an Islamic perspective. The goal right. in our religion is reformation of society and the individual. Right. Sometimes you will reform an individual and society by punishing an individual. Sometimes you'll reform an individual and society by forgiving them. Right. Right. And I think you know, th you know, that's something yeah. that, that you're into, and and I think it's a perfect example of perfecting your attributes. Yeah. Knowing when should I show mercy, knowing when should I show justice, and the practice of that, balancing those mm -hmm. attributes, makes you more godly, and mm -hmm. you are worshiping God mm -hmm. by finding that balance. And that goes to every other attribute of God right. as well. Right. And uh, Dr. Ron, it's really interesting how, um, you know, these pandemics have a way of bringing people to God. Wouldn't you say? I mean, there's a way that... Uh, uh, President Trump has declared right. tomorrow a national day of prayer. Right, right. And that's a way that it's bringing people to, bringing people to God, bringing people to religion by recognizing kind of the dire times we're in. Yes, for certainly. And, and you know, the other interesting thing with regard to <clears throat> with, with this is that not only we're facing an epidemic or a pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, but we're facing a financial crisis. It's, it's like yeah. two... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Major global disasters happening at the same time. Like we're not recognizing the financial side of it, mm-hmm. but it is enormous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're, I mean, it, it creates another problem. Like, yeah. people are going to be, 60% of America uh, lives paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, and yeah. if their cash flow is interrupted, what do they? What are you going to do? You know, And I don't know, there, I don't know the statistic, but uh, children who, most of the uh, indigent children get their meals from the public school system. Right, and now right. public schools are closing, what's going to happen? And now they're coming and home just, and their parents are working, right? It's just a lot of... A lot of stuff right. All at once. There's a lot of con- confusion. We've closed stadiums. We've closed schools. But have you gone to the grocery store? It's all there. I mean, it defeats the whole purpose. Right. If right. you go to the grocery store, I mean, it is just people grabbing fruits, putting them back. It's just we haven't learned. Yeah. You know, we haven't we haven't faced this, and we haven't solved the problem. Mm-hmm. It is. It's really, really <laughs> interesting, and absolutely, your heart turns to prayer. The right. ultimately. There's a verse in the Quran that says that, listen, if you're afflicted with disease, then it, remember that it's God that saves you. Right, right. You know, and, and every religion will tell you that, including Islam. Right. So ultimately, that's where we take this, take it to the prayer rug. And, we, and you know, the thing is that, um, ultimately, if, if your heart is clean, cleared before God, we all have to die. Mm-hmm. The Prophet of Islam said that when a pandemic comes, then... You should stay, and you should quarantine, and you should abide by those by those rules. That's your duty. Now that's right. your. And if you die in that state, then you die a martyr. Right. So wow. no one has to panic if you get afflicted because you're not able to leave, and and you succumb to your illness, then you're in God's lap. I mean, there's there's okay, like right, right. you know, there, there's no greater glory than martyrdom. Right. So I, there's no reason for any Ahmadi, any Muslim, or anyone, for that matter, to really be worried, because right. that's the promise of God, that if you um, uh, um, come to this illness and you abide by my rules, then then you're good. You're right. This and, is really, yeah, uh, yeah. This is really a time for people to bring their heads to the prayer mat and, and really focus on becoming a better version of and themselves. And repent. And repent, And yeah. you know, exactly, repentance is really important. I mean, it's not even about, in Islam, as God is described in this faith, mm-hmm. about how much good or bad you've done. It is about God's acceptance 
of whatever good you've done or of whatever repentance you've done. Right. It's not your striving or anything like that. God decides. It's his grace that decides what he's accepting and who he's accepting and who he's not. So just because you're an Ahmadi Muslim does not necessarily guarantee you anything. And just because you are a sinner, that does not necessarily deny you anything. So these are moments of, of repentance as well as for gratitude, for prayer, for helping, for all the good works. Yeah, I think a good like a good theme or trend of our discussion is that essentially, you know, during this time, this is a good opportunity to reflect, repent, and pray to God. I think that's a, a good kind of summary sentence, yeah, you could say, yeah. that, that we should probably take advantage of this time as much as we can. Right, right. And Dr. Ron, we want to thank you for being on our show, having this discussion with us. Uh, we hope you stay safe. Epidemic been thinking about for several days, and that is, you know, when an epidemic or disaster strikes, whether it's coronavirus, whether it's a flood, whatever the case may be, how do we know if this is a punishment from God? Is this a trial from God? Or is this just a natural occurrence due to our own mistakes? Perhaps we didn't urban plan well or global warming. You know, how do we determine that? So there's nothing that's a punishment unless we have reason to believe that it's a punishment. And what that means is that we should never make the assumption that something is a punishment. I mean, that's very important, starting from our individual lives. You know, if something bad happens in your life or my life, and I immediately start thinking that, oh, God must be punishing me, then that perception of mine is going to make God, in my eyes, to be a very vindictive, angry, and hateful God. Because I'm going to attribute everything bad that happens in my life as a conscious punishment inflicted on me by God. So that mentality is something that is very destructive to spirituality. So this applies to you know, human phenomena as well, like uh, pandemics, uh, the things that apply broadly to society. So a person has to have a very good reason to conclude that something is a punishment of God. And generally, punishments of God that happen outside of the general laws of nature those happen during a time that is miraculous. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, a punishment of God or a miracle of God, you know, like if, if, there's, if God favors somebody and gives them a reward in this world, or if He punishes them in this world, it is under the special laws of nature. So mm-hmm. something special must be happening at that time. It's not that it's just going to happen out of nowhere for nothing. Just because somebody won the lottery, just because it's unlikely, doesn't mean that God did that out of His miraculous special laws of nature. It's just a statistical inevitability. So if some kind of a disaster happens, then we should just assume that this is action and reaction. This is the way that nature works. But we can conclude it is a punishment of God if we live in a time that is special, a time of a prophet of God, a time of a khalifa of God. Right. And so in those cases, it's generally a prophet of God or a khalifa who prophesizes it and who informs people and warns people ahead of time of such disasters. And then they happen unusually in fulfillment with the words that uh, with the, the words that that prophet or that Khalifa gave. Very well said. Very well said. Well said yeah. So we have a caller coming in. Um, how are you doing? Welcome to the Voice of Islam Radio Show. What's your name and where are you from? Hey, my name is Armagan Jatala. I'm from the Inland Empire. Hey, Armagan, how you doing? What's your question for us today? Uh, so actually, I, I had a question. I've been listening to the dialogue, and it's been a really good good dialogue so far. The the question I had was, you know, with regards to, and I don't know if this is like a this is like an Islamic medical question, I guess. Um, you know, Muslims greet with, with hugs and with, you know, shaking of the hand. Mm-hmm. And in this time, like, let's say someone con- contracts the virus or some type of sickness from that type of greeting. Would that person technically be considered shaheed in Islam? 
Well said. Well said. And by Shahid, you mean martyr. Uh, thank you for your question, Armagan. Imam Khan? Yes. So there's some practices in Islam which are, um, you know, preferred, but they're not required. So any kind of practice that is not required, then where the situation, where there are special circumstances, then an exception is made. For example, pork, everybody knows Muslims are forbidden from eating it. But a person would never starve to death and refuse to eat pork. That actually goes against the teachings of Islam. So if a Muslim is not allowed to die adhering to the commandment to abstain from pork, then also a Muslim is not allowed to die blindly adhering to the commandment of shaking hands. You know, shaking hands is something that is to increase brotherhood. It is to give life to the community. But if in a very temporary exceptional case it is something that becomes a means of spreading death, then it is necessary that a person abstain from it. So this is the general philosophy of all Islamic teachings that there is never any black-and-white rule. There is almost always an exception. Except for idolatry and falsehood, there is always an exception to every rule that adjusts based on extreme circumstances. So this is also one of those things, and this is why the Khalifa of Islam, the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, in his Friday sermon, the, the Friday sermon before this last one, he advised that we should abstain from shaking hands. And he can never say anything that goes against the sunnah and the commandments of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him. The reason he gave us that advice is because this is a preferred way that Muslims should greet each other. But it is not a commandment that is obligatory on us, and it is something that always has room for adjustment based on extreme circumstances. So I would not consider a person to be shaheed or a martyr. I might even Mm -hmm. go so far as to say that a person who insists on doing something reckless in a blind and ignorant adherence and obedience to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, he deviates from wisdom. Allah Almighty is Al-Hakim, and the Prophet ﷺ taught us to be wise and to imitate the attribute of Allah Almighty as being wise. And I would go so far as to say that that person, if anything, may be blameworthy, but I would not say that that person is a martyr. But ultimately, Allah knows that. Thank you for that response, Imam. So I have another question that, that's really been making me think a lot is, you know, if God is all-merciful, then, you know, why do these things even happen? For example, how do we explain... You know, children that die. Not just we're not talking about coronavirus. Just in general, like when you know wars happen or you know floods happen, earthquakes, and innocent kids die or innocent people die. How do we reconcile that spiritually and from an Islamic perspective? How can I reconcile the you know these these acts of tragedy? Right, especially the elderly in this case who yeah. are very susceptible to coronavirus. Yes, I mean I think this really comes down to reconciling our emotions with our the logical part of our mind. Because when we look at the logical part of our mind and we observe nature, we observe natural selection. You know, God Almighty has said in the Holy Quran that we have created life and death, that we may try you as to who is the best in action. Essentially, this refers to natural selection. It is death mm-hmm. and the, you know, the, the need to survive that pushes every species forward. So God Almighty says that it is this need to survive and survival of the fittest that actually pushes you to be the best that you can be and to reach this level of complexity. So when we see this from a scientific perspective, we find it beautiful. We find it perfect. We see a world that continues to increase in complexity and beauty, and we find no fault in it. But then when we look at it from an, our emotions, you know, then we see that, okay, but that seems to be a bad thing. It seems to be a painful thing. And so why would a God allow death to happen? So this actually creates a contradiction in our mind, because our emotion is saying that death is bad, whereas our scientific mind is saying that death is a necessary means and a tool and one of the most beautiful things in this world by which all, on which all progress is based. Every step of evolution is based on 
survival and a fight for life against against death. So this is the first point that I think we have to kind of um, reconcile within ourselves. We have to understand that when this thought arises in our mind, we are first contradicting ourselves in our own mind. There is something opposing in our emotions and in our um, logical mind. The second part of the answer is that <clears throat> the reason why we feel this way is that we simply have an emotional attachment to those who are near to us, right. those who are we, we consider to be similar to us. For example, human beings. We see human life to be sacred. But why is it that we see human life to be sacred? It's just, uh, it's just, it's just a feeling that we have. We don't have the same mm-hmm. feeling towards other forms of conscious life, like cow or maybe monkeys or chickens. And then there's less intelligent forms of life. And even within our own bodies, there are conscious forms of life. You know, from the philosophical perspective, even the atheist secular perspective, from a philosophical perspective, those very um, you know, primitive or kind of microbe organisms in our body that we are dependent on, that die within our system, you know, but, but we feel no sympathy for them, even though they are conscious beings from a philosophical perspective. So our sympathy... And our feeling of pain for the death of life is very conveniently limited to our own species and then to our own mm-hmm. family. Again, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe we had talked about this last time, but 100 people get killed in Syria and it doesn't really bother us. But then right. five people get killed in our neighborhood and it's a tragedy. So here also the second point we have to understand that this very convenient bias we have of an emotional attachment, this is where our logic is coming from by saying that it's unfair for death to function in this way and it's incompassionate. So this is, I, 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 didn't, I don't want to make the answer too long. Right, I didn't go right. too much into the answer, but I just wanted to explain the basis of why the question in its, you know, when an atheist raises it or when it's, it, it actually doesn't have any basis when you ask a few follow-up questions. Right. And I feel like that's one of those fundamental questions that always divides religious people or people that are, um, you know, questioning their faith. They might just be like, well, why does God allow suffering? Or why does, you know, these innocent people feel this type of pain? But, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, that's just the world that we live in, and there's, yeah. a, there's a spectrum, <clears throat> right? I mean, mm-hmm. let's say that spectrum was shortened. Well, then the extreme of somebody getting the cold to be like, why? Why is that person getting a cold? Why? Then we all just become one organism. We're all just normalized, and there's no difference as to, you know, left or right. You know, the other thing is without experiencing darkness and pain, what is, you know, what is happiness and light? Mm -hmm. You know, if I have in in life, for example, you know, the the difficult days, the difficult times is what has made me appreciate the good days that I have. When I'm in a state of illness... You know, I, f- I remember how I felt like I had a cold or a flu, right? right? I feel so bad and I can't sleep and this and that. And then when I'm out of that state, I'm so much more grateful for being in that positive state within right. my life. Right. So I think there's also, a, a, there has to be some type of, you know, suffering to a certain extent. Otherwise, you can't appreciate what's right. good. Right. And the other thing, you know, that I think of is, f- you know, humans have free will. If we, we're looking, we're talking about macro problems like, mm-hmm. you know, floods and diseases. What about at the individual level? If someone commits a crime, you know, they have to be able to commit a crime. They have to have free will to be able to commit a crime or not commit a crime so that they can be judged by God. If no one could do anything bad at an individual level and didn't have free will, then what's the point of this life, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't this, you know, a trial to see if I give this person free will, right. are they going to make the right or wrong decision? They have right. to be able to make that wrong decision in order for me to punish them. Right. Those, right. You know, those right. are kind of a couple other perspectives right. as well on this topic. Right. And that suffering is, is important. I mean, you really have to, it's like you said, you got to experience the bad to know what you can appreciate the good. 
you know. I, I ate a lot of ice cream yesterday, and <laughs> by eating all that ice cream, I came to a certain point where it didn't taste as good because all you're doing is eating ice cream and living the life. Yeah. So that's why I had to go on a run today so that if I do eat that ice cream, I'll feel and enjoy right that ice cream. Yeah. And that's just a very simple example, a very childish one too. Yeah. But, you know, that's just life in a certain sense. You have to experience yeah. the highs and the lows to know what the peaks are and what the valleys are. Otherwise, you're always on a straight plane. Yeah. Imam Saab, what about the role of prayer? Let's say, you know, in times of tragedy, you know, some people, they're praying and, and, they're, you know, and they don't make it or mm-hmm. the, you, pr- you, you pray and you do make it, but someone else doesn't make it. You know, what is the role then of prayer in these times of tragedy? Is it just to sur- pray to just so I can survive or is it so I can get a greater understanding of life? Or, you know, what, what is the role of prayer in this, if that question makes sense? Yeah, I mean, the purpose of prayer is essentially to recognize our Creator. That's essentially what it is. I mean, everything in the Holy Quran from the Islamic perspective, the purpose of prayer, the purpose of studying science, reflecting on the heavens and the earth, is just to recognize our Creator. Now, a lot of times <clears throat> we sort of get caught in the very primitive stages of spirituality, and we think that the purpose of prayer is to get a gift from God Almighty. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when a parent gives their child a reward for doing something that's good, then as a child it's okay for him to think that the purpose of doing something good is to be able to get that candy or to get half an hour of my tablet time or whatever, the screen time, whatever it is. But for an adult to think like that is no longer seen as something that's good. It's it's very immature. The person completely missed the point. So also, um, I think since perhaps, um, you know, maybe a lot of times we stay confined to the early stages of spirituality, there when God Almighty wishes that we create a relationship with Him, then the acceptance of prayer is just a means by which that relationship is established. It's the way that we associate an action and reaction with God Almighty, positive reinforcement for good actions. In the same way that a child reinforces getting candy from their parents, and then the child develops an attachment and a love for their parents. You know, if, if, you, were to, uh, if, you, if you were to have a cousin or a nephew, a little kid, and you were to give them treats every time they did something good, they're going to be coming to you all, they're going to like you a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's just the nature of how an attachment is created with a child or how a human attachment is created. So in the beginning, prayer is about having our temporary needs fulfilled. But it's meant that at a certain point we should spiritually mature, and the purpose of our prayer shifts from being about that candy or being about that 30 minutes of screen time to instead being about our communion with Allah Almighty, with God Almighty and our Creator. And when a person has found their purpose, has found communion, and has found their happiness in just Allah Almighty, in their friendship, in their reciprocal relationship of love with Allah Almighty, then they no longer need anything in this world. They don't care if they lose money, they don't care if they lose anything, because now they've found something that's far more valuable. So this, uh, <clears throat> the, the, the purpose of prayer is to develop a relationship with God Almighty. And our objective is that when we leave this world, that we leave this world happily, looking forward to something greater, not leaving this world holding on for dear life like the pharaohs did, trying to bury all their treasures with them, thinking that maybe they could take the world with them. Because when a person dies like that, then he dies in a state of hell, and we can already know what his state is going to be in the afterlife. But a person who dies smiling, looking forward to what's coming forward, like the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, who is with his last words were, towards my beloved friend. That person is in paradise in this world and in the hereafter. So a person's objective ultimately as we reach maturity, is not that, you know, God owes me something, that I have to have this prayer accepted. It's that 
that peace that a person has, that reality of paradise he experiences in this world, that is something that stands as a testimony in and of itself. That's beautifully wow. said, yeah. I love that you that you talked mm-hmm. about kind of spiritual maturity and, and progressing, and you compared it to a child and a parent, you know, uh, when, or as a child and right. when you get older. And I think another example of that is... Because that's you know, what I do. I told yeah. my son yesterday, you want to you wanna have that toy? Well, you got to go um, talk to Alamia. Yeah. You got to, you know, yeah. you got you to gotta get the candy. You got to gotta ask Alamia, then you'll yeah. get it, you know, and that's... It's amazing. Yeah. And there's another angle to it, too, is like, you know, when you're a child, you may obey your parents just out of fear of them. Mm-hmm. But then as you get older, you want to obey your parents because you love them. And in a similar way with God... When you're at a spiritually kind of a lower state, you may obey God just out of fearing God, but then as you spiritually mature, you will start obeying God out of love for Him. Mm-hmm. And then that was another example I mm-hmm. heard. I, I believe one of our Khalifas have mentioned that, that metaphor. I think it's a right. very powerful one. Right, right. And that's kind of the idea of, um, of taqwa, right? Righteousness and that fear of God, but that fear of God coming from a place of love. Yeah. Imam so. Sahib, what, what role would you say, you know, as an as a imam, right, you have a congregation, you know, what are some opportunities or messages you're giving to your members uh, of your congregation about, you know, the coronavirus or these current times from a spiritual perspective? Yeah, so presently, actually, you know, since about last week, so my daughter had brought a strep, strep throat home or something like that, and so then it just kind of, um, you know, just snowballed into all sorts of other things. So for about a week now, I've had, like, you know, sore throat, fever, all sorts of stuff. So actually, you know, in obeying the guidelines that have been given by the Jamaat, I've been, even though I really wanted to go to the masjid, you know, this last week I haven't gone to the masjid, right. and now I'm feeling it really bad, like, I need to go to the masjid. There, there was one time where I felt relief in my symptoms, and I went to the mosque once, and it felt so good to be there at the mosque. You know, you, you don't realize what you're missing until you, you lose it for a little while. Yeah. So presently, I mean, the only thing that I can do is force myself to stay at home as long as I have the symptoms that have been described in the guidelines by our national uh, department that gives advice on these things. And they've said that as long as a person has sneezing, coughing, fever, any of these symptoms, and they should consider it their responsibility to stay at home. So all I can do right now is just obey that directive, um, you know, kind of try and give the example that, you know, as Muslims and as an imam myself as well, we're all bound to the rules. We are all bound to look after society and forget our personal interests. And so presently, that's, that's all I can do. But I look forward to being able to go back to the masjid in, in a day or two when, when all these symptoms go away. You know, Imam Sahib, in, in, times, of, in times like this and other times of, let's say, war or tragedy, what really is the role of, of religion at an individual level and as well on a macro level, societal level, if any? So the role of religion essentially is it shines forth when we our reality, which is how vulnerable we are. Right. And so religion, it always has a role in our lives, but we're unaware of it. So, now look how, <clears throat> look how fragile we've become just because of a virus that has maybe a 1-3% to 3% death rate. And it's right. something that's turned our society upside down. Not in the sense that, like, no, there's no chaos, of course, but our mind is constantly concerned and occupied with this. Our grocery store shelves are empty. We're closing down things left and right. So suddenly we become aware of how fragile we are, how close we are to death's door. Mm-hmm. So this is when a person has, is more inclined to have an existential crisis. That life is not about just going to work every day, getting a paycheck, paying the bills, keeping up with the neighbors, this and that. All that stuff that seems so important when we're living in a bubble of security, when everything seems perfect. 
that all of that disappears and goes away. So a time of tragedy, I would say, is the only time that we're in touch with our humanity. And, and any other time, especially here living in the United States, we're completely out of touch with our reality. We feel that we're invincible, even though we're such a fragile piece of flesh that's walking around, heading directly towards the door of death. Every day we spend is one day less. Right. So I think, you know, the role of religion is for us to realize how humble and fragile we are, and then out of that humility and helplessness, to turn towards something out there beyond the physical, our Creator. Our, our consciousness pulls and yearns for a spirituality. That yearning needs a desperation and needs a humility. As long as a person is arrogant and comfort, comfortable, they'll never feel it. So the role of tragedy in religion, I would say, tragedy plays a very important role in religion because tragedy is what brings us in touch with our reality. And as long as we're not in touch with reality, religion has no role in our life. But the moment we get in touch with our reality, then on a societal level, atheism will disappear. Any kind of materialism, it starts to disappear. And then we become so much more in touch with our spirituality as, as, as a society. So, so that, that's, that's, so, so misfortune and tragedy it's something that's very important to open our eyes and, and, and snap us back into reality. Imam Khan, giving us our last thoughts, for somebody who, through this experience, is gaining a bit more of their humanity, trying to get a closer experience to God, what would be your advice to them? Mm. Um, you know, I would say, you know, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, said that the best action is that which, even if it is small, it is done consistently. So when a person is afraid or when there's an unusual circumstance, that's when we make all sorts of promises that deep down we know we're never going to be able to fulfill. So I would say that we should take any opportunity where we reflect on our existence and think long-term. We should take that as a gold mine, as, 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 as a very rare opportunity, because mm-hmm. we can spend years completely oblivious, and then suddenly for a few days we'll wake up and then we'll go right back to that obliviousness. So those right. few days are very valuable. In those few days, I think that we should make a intention, a strong intention of a small change that we're going to make in our lives that is continuous and sustainable. And that, I think, would be far more productive rather than, you know, just making all sorts of promises to ourselves that, okay, I'm going to appreciate my family, I'm going to turn to God and all these things. No, something small and concrete and consistent, I think that's the way to go. Thank you so much, Imam Khan, for coming on and spending uh, your afternoon with us. We hope that you have a speedy and quick recovery, and uh, inshallah, God willing, we will have another conversation with you soon on the show. Um, assalamu alaikum. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. So, Hadis, we really had an interesting discussion today on you know, the coronavirus and from the Islamic perspective, but I don't know about you, but at the end of the show, I'm feeling much more humbled just thinking yeah. about you know what uh, uh, Imam Khan said and, of course, what Dr. Rana said. The idea of using this as an opportunity, right, the silver line, the, the idea of using this as an opportunity to gain nearness to God as a societal level is a really powerful thing. But of course it starts as an, from an individual, right? We have to start doing something consistently and start doing it um, sincerely and letting that be something that drives us, not something that's just like, oh, you know, a temporary fade, a fad, I'm, I'm worried about the coronavirus, I'm going to start praying now, and I'm going to stop. Yeah, that, you know, that's really important. I think what you just talked about, you know, like not just react. So we realize mm-hmm. that this is a time for reflection. We should get closer to God, right? But that doesn't mean to just all of a sudden think that you're just going to, we're just going to flip the script and just change overnight. And it goes back to Imam Saab's point, a small deed that is done consistently 
is be, you know mm-hmm. looked upon more favorably from by God than a, a big overall change that doesn't right. really sustain itself. So I think for me personally, I'm definitely going to be reflecting more, praying more, repenting, right. and I'm going to try to do small, consistent deeds that are going to be sustainable. And I think that's really important. Right. Because I feel like for a lot of people, the coronavirus is an idea that's festering in the back of your head. It's sitting there. It's something that you might be thinking about. It, it's just there. But what if instead of thinking about the coronavirus, you thought about God in that way, or in the sense that you had that zikr Allahi in Arabic, that remembrance of God in your mind, which in the Quran we know is, is, is stated that the remembrance of God is one of the greatest things you can do. So imagine that being something that we try to do a little bit more. Instead of every time you think of the coronavirus, use it as a means to have the remembrance of God and to have that in your head. That I think would be a really powerful thing for all of us. Yeah, I, I you know, agree 100%. It's, it's, it's time to reflect and, and and think about, you know, why we're here. That's right. That's right. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate you staying tuned and listening to this very interesting discussion. Again, the disclaimer, check cdc.gov for all the latest developments in regards to the coronavirus and what you should be doing. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Use soap. Uh, stay indoors and... Um, most importantly, what we think is to pray and pray for yourself and pray for your family. And uh, remember that you can catch us here next week at 2 p.m. This is the Voice of Islam radio show. If you want to continue this discussion, you can email us at um, of the Voice of Islam radio show at gmail.com. And for our listeners who want to learn more about Islam and its revival through the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, you can go online to trueislam.com, T R U E. ISLAM.com, and you can check out our Facebook page, Voice of Islam Radio Show. Or if you'd like to talk to somebody and ask them questions directly, call 1 Islam. Um, we hope to have this conversation with you soon, and we will see you next week at 2 p.m. Voice of Islam Radio Show. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.